0: So last summer, our leadership team was sitting around and, and we were all heartbroken over yet another uh, murder suicide within the Hmong community. And one of the folks on our team looked up and said, Can we do our next relationship series on domestic violence? And we all kind of paused and looked around. Can we? None of us had ever heard a church talk about domestic violence. And in that moment, that's when I decided that we would. And since then, we've been talking and praying and reading. And all of that has led up to the series we begin today called When Love Hurts, Christian Perspectives on Domestic Violence. So to kick us off, here's from Uh, in video give us a little bit of an introduction.
1: The topic of domestic violence can trigger uncomfortable and even distressing emotions. If you experience any disturbing levels of distress today, please do what you can to take care of yourself, whether that is getting up and leaving the room, talking to a friend, or reaching out to someone for professional help. River Life is tackling this very sensitive and challenging topic because we know that so many people are experiencing domestic violence. Violence seems to be everywhere around us nowadays, whether in the public spaces, in schools, backyards, or homes. And perhaps you, a family member, a friend, or someone you know has experienced domestic violence as a victim or a perpetrator. According to research, More than 10 million people each year here in the United States are impacted by domestic violence. And current stats indicate that 41% of women and 26% of men have experienced violence from a partner. 20% of couples report that there is some form of violence in their relationship and lesser forms of violence are perpetrated by both men and women. However, males tend to be the perpetrators of more severe forms of violence. Now, these prevalence rates tell us that, indeed, domestic violence is everywhere. Yet, too often, we Christians don't know what to say, let alone what to do, when someone is experiencing domestic violence. And you might have been wondering what God or the church thinks about domestic violence. Perhaps you or someone you know has been suffering in silence and has been wishing that there could be a safe and supportive place where domestic violence can come into the light. Perhaps you have wanted hope and healing and growth while experiencing domestic violence. With the When Love Heard Sermon Series, we hope that you gain insight and find encouragement and resources to help victims and perpetrators of domestic violence. Finally, if you are experiencing violence in your relationship, please get immediate help by reaching out and calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800 799 Seven
0: two, three three. So I want to start with five statements, five five things, and we're going to actually say these same five things every week as part of this series. So first, this is a sensitive and painful topic, and for some of you, it's personal. One in three women and one in four men have been in an abusive relationship, so that means for around 30 or 40 of you, this isn't an abstract idea. It's been part of your life and maybe even part of your present. Um, second, there are four different ways you can experience domestic violence as a victim, a perpetrator, an observer, you see it within your family. Or as a member of a community, you see high-profile acts within the larger community. And our goal with this series is to allow God to speak into all of these areas. Third, there are many types of abuse. Physical, sexual, emotional, psychological, economic, spiritual, even digital Now, and there's more info on the the back page of your bulletin, if you want to expand your idea of of abuse. There's a lot on the back of that bulletin that can help you. But for this series, we're going to focus primarily on physical and sexual violence. Fourth, physical domestic violence is a broad category. It's not just hitting. It's slapping, shoving. Grabbing, biting, pulling hair, throwing things. So when we talk about domestic violence, we're talking about a wide scope of behaviors. Some of which you might even consider normal as part of relationships. And lastly, as before, I want to echo her in saying I want to give you permission We're talking about some really sensitive topics here. And if you ever feel overwhelmed or it gets a little too personal, feel free to take care of yourself. If it means you need to step out, that's okay. If it means you want to talk to someone, you want prayer, we'll have people down front after service. If it means you want to reach out for help, the information for the Domestic Violence Hotline is on the back of your bulletin. And so, you have our permission, you have my permission to take care of yourself. So, when we hear or see a violence, there's, there's one thing that goes through almost everybody's mind at some point. In fact, it is a near-universal thought. How could they do that? Another mass shooting. How could they do that? Another murder-suicide in the Hmong community. How could they do that? Even violence in your own family. How could they do that? It's even a question that haunts us when our own anger turns violent. How could I do that? The answer to that question lies in a common thread across all violence. And that's the dehumanization of another person. Once this happens, unspeakable horrors can be justified. We see this in mass shooters' manifestos. In white supremacist chants in government policies across U.S. history. We see it even in a spouse's excuses for their violent behavior. Violence always begins with dehumanizing another person. And now the idea of honoring another person's inherent humanity, that comes from Christianity. In fact, when we look at at abuse through the lens of God's creation, we see a core principle that we're going to return to over and over again in this series. Abuse violates the image of God in another. Abuse violates the image of God in another. It does a whole lot of other things. But through spiritual eyes, abuse violates the image of God in another this is at the heart of dehumanizing another person people are created in the image of god and therefore when a person assaults another they are in fact assaulting an image bearer of god so what exactly is the image of god if if we want if we want to influence the way that we think and see and interpret and understand Violence. We have to understand the image of God because we have to understand what is getting violated. So, what is the image of God? Well, this is a surprisingly complex question. There has been a lot of disagreement throughout history about what the image of God actually is. Is it something we are? Is it something we experience? Is it something that we do? And theologians have argued for two millennia about what this really means. So obviously I'm not going to solve it in one sermon. But we are going to begin answering this question by the, by looking at the core text. And that's in Genesis 1, 26-27. Then God said... Let us make mankind, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, created humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then this is echoed Just four chapters later, in Genesis 5, very similar language. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When when God created mankind, created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them. And he named them humankind when they were created. So from these passages, there are two things that generally everybody agrees upon. Uh, about what the image of God and likeness of God are. And by the way, those are generally considered to be synonyms. Image of God and likeness of God. So two things people agree on. One is that God's image or likeness distinguishes people from animals. That's the first one. It is unique to people. And second, that the image of God is somehow connected to our maleness and femaleness somehow. Now, if we consider other passages in the Old Testament and New Testament, there's one more thing that comes up over and over again, actually, and it might be the most important aspect of humans being made in the image of God. So see if you can notice the common thread across these three verses. Genesis 9:6. whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For the image of God has, has God made mankind. First 1 Corinthians 11.7 A man ought not cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. James 3.9 With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in, the, in God's image. So do you see the common thread? Humans are inherently valuable because they are made in the image of God. Why shouldn't you kill someone? Not because it's illegal, but because they're made in the image of God. Why should you take your hat off in church? Because you are made in the image of God. And why should you not speak curses against another person? Because they are made in the image of God. Three situations, one common reason. Humans are inherently valuable because they are made in the image of God. See, every human has dignity and worth bestowed upon them by their creator. Each person is valuable and deserving of respect and care, regardless of their background, gender, status, or ability. And abuse violates all of that. Abuse violates the image of God in another. So the next time you're escalating and you want to yell, grab, shove, throw, remember that the person standing in front of you, maybe even yelling back at you, has inherent worth because they are made in the image of God. And if you attack them in any way, verbally or physically, you are attacking the divine nature in them. So abuse violates the image of God in another person. Now, how does this play itself out? Well, There are three ways that this can happen, this violation. Three ways that the image of God gets violated, damaged, or distorted because of abuse. But before I continue, I want to give credit to another Alliance pastor by the name of Chris Moles. He's an Alliance pastor down in West Virginia and a blog writer that I happened to run across while I was studying for this, and, and I was inspired by these three points, and so these aren't original to me, um, but they are to him. So first, one implication. The human body is a sacred space. Our bodies are very important to God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that our bodies are a temple or a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. That means that God's Spirit literally resides in us. So our bodies are holy. They are both literally and figuratively holy. So abuse against another person in any form isn't just violence. It's actually desecration of sacred space. And the one who lives there. As Pastor Moles puts it. When we neglect or harm our bodies or inflict harm or pain on another, we are in fact attacking the one whom our bodies represent. Second implication of this. The second way this violation happens. We are relational beings. We are relational because God is relational. We are made for community. We are made for relationships. And just like our t-shirts say, life is better together. But abuse prevents this. As Pastor Moles points out, domestic violence isolates the victim from safety and security and the perpetrator from sources of accountability. See, worse yet, abuse can actually distort our core understanding of healthy relationships. With this often lasting for decades. Children who are exposed to violence growing up are more than twice as likely to be physically aggressive as adults. Half of adults who were abused as children experience abuse as adults. And survivors of child sexual abuse are at twice the risk of domestic violence as adults. Abuse damages our God-designed relationality. And it replaces it with something twisted and perverted. Twisted views on self, others, Love and relationships. And abuse damages all of that. It actually damages our God created, our God designed relationality. And that can often take decades to repair. Third, God created us for a purpose. See, as God's image bearers, we have purpose. But abusing someone else hinders our ability to live out that purpose. Here's how Pastor Moles describes it. Consider how a Christian husband is fulfilling his God-given purpose of living for God's pleasure while physically assaulting his wife. Or how the victim is confined and restricted from being salt and light by a controlling spouse. Domestic violence has at its very heart a desire for control and the sinful abuse of power, constricting a relationship to the point of little or no meaning. Divine purpose is swapped out for fear, anxiety, conformity, And truth is replaced with lies and manipulation. Abuse actually distorts our God given purpose in life. Fundamentally, abuse violates the image of God in another. So, will you see clearly the image of God? In each and every person. Regardless of race, age, gender, sexuality, politics or personality. Will you see their inherent value and worth? No matter how different they are or how angry you are. If your divine image is damaged, has been damaged by abuse, and you're carrying those wounds, will you allow God's gentle hand to hold you, to heal you, and to restore your identity as God's beloved? And the next time your anger escalates, will you see the person across from you as a divinely precious image-bearer of God with inherent worth and value? And nothing they could say or do would change that fact. Will you do this for me? Will you do this for yourself, for your community, for your family? Will you do this for God? If you can begin to see, tangibly and practically see the image of God in another person, and to see the image of God in you, that is where transformation can begin. You are made in the image of God. Never forget that. And never let someone else convince you otherwise. So I want to give you some time. I want to give you some time to process all of this. We're going to do a couple reflection exercises here. First is, I want to give you some time to confess. Chances are every one of us in this room has done or said something to hurt another person. Maybe even just in the last week. Maybe you've done something even more hurtful. I want to give you a time to confess. So we're going to spend a couple minutes here. And if you're not sure what to do during these couple minutes, simply listen for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Wants to meet you where you're at. And some of you, through this sermon, you might already be thinking of something you've done. Something you've said. Now's the time to be forgiven. So, we're going to spend a couple minutes. I'm going to set my watch, a couple minutes in silent prayer, and use this time to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you now. So, I'll set for two minutes, and let's begin.